Welcome to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. Sydney Ideas is the University of Sydney's public events program, providing you with the opportunity to hear leading thinkers from our university and around the world. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming this evening. We have a very, very special guest with us tonight, Peter Neumann, who is emeritus um, at the an emeritus fellow of Queen's in Oxford, and he's here to tell us all about his mother, Hannah Neumann, who was the first ever female professor of mathematics in Australia, in, appointed in 1963. So, a bit about Peter. Peter is himself a mathematician. Um, he was born in Oxford and then wandered away for a while. He, his primary education was at Bricknell Avenue Primary School and then Hymer's College, both in Hull. And then he wandered back to Oxford and did his studies there and ended up with a DPhil in 1966 under the supervision of Professor Gray and Higman. Um, so Peter was then point, appointed a tutorial fellow at Queen's in 1966 and a lecturer in the university in 1967 and has been there ever since, except with the odd trip abroad to Cambridge and Birmingham and BAM other wonderful places and, and to Sydney. Yeah. Um, so his research contributions have ranged over a number of areas of algebra and its history and he's published about 130 articles, um, books and, and reviews and he's a very renowned mathematician in his own right and very highly valued. His contributions have been recognised in a number of ways. So he has been awarded a DSC by Oxford in 1976. He's been awarded the Lester R. Ford Award by the Mathematical Association of America in 1987, the Senior Whitehead Prize by the London Mathematical Society in 2003, and the David Crichton Medal jointly by the Institute of Mathematics and its Applications and the London Mathematical Society in 2012. And in 2008, Peter was appointed an officer of the Order of the British Empire for his services to education. That was the same year that the University of Oxford gave him a lifetime teaching award and also the year that he retired, <laughs> technically. Uh, I, I see no evidence of, of retirement other than that somebody else has been appointed at Queen's. Um, so he's done much service to the mathematical community, uh, both at the research level and at the educational level. He has supervised 38 students to PhDs, and one of them, Cheryl Prager, was the second female professor of mathematics in Australia, and she was appointed 20 years after Hannah Neumann to that position. She was in Western Australia, so Cheryl was at the University of Western Australia. Um, so Peter is connected to both the first and the second female professor of mathematics in Australia and it's an absolute delight that he could fit us into his schedule and come and talk to us and tell us the story of Hannah Norman. Thank you very much Peter. Welcome. Well thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it's a huge pleasure to be here I must say. Uh, a bit, bit of a daunting pleasure because, a bit of a daunting pleasure, oh I should say while that picture is up, one of the nicest pictures of my mother, but also those of you who are group theorists will recognise the Cayley graph of a free group of rank two. I don't know who drew it, I don't know who drew it, but uh, it goes very well and I'll explain why later on. 
Um, a bit of a daunting lecture to give to this particular audience because one of Hannah Neumann's biographers is in the audience. <laughs> Tim, Tim Wall, G, Professor G.E. Wall, here from the University of Sydney. Um, so, um, Tim, if I produce any heresies, please call out. Let me just start with a, um, a very brief curriculum vitae, um, uh, just to, to give you the background. I'll not expect you to remember all these details, and some of them will come back in a, a much more understandable form um, as we go through. Um, but this is just to give you an overview of um, Hannah Neumann. And I say Hannah Neumann, um, it's going to be very difficult for me not to call her mother, which is what we all call her, and I can't possibly call her Hannah Neumann, can I? Except when I was writing mathematical articles and referring to her, to her articles, then she was Hannah Neumann. But um, uh, she and father were always father and mother to us. Um, I should say, um, at first, they wanted us to call them by their first names. And then they had a friend who was a child psychologist and said, no, 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 no you mustn't do that. You mustn't do that. Um, so we called them mother and father. Uh, anyway, she was born Hannah von Kemmerer um, uh, on the 14th of February, uh, sorry, 12th of February 1914 um, in Berlin. Um, she studied mathematics uh, at the Humboldt University from 1933 to 1937, by which time she'd made it, things a bit too hot for herself there and she moved to Göttingen for one year. Um, but when um, um, Poland was overrun, she was getting a bit um, worried and she left Germany and came to England. Uh, I suppose here I ought to say went to England. But if I use the wrong version of the verb, then <laughs> please understand. Um, uh, she moved to Cardiff and she married B.H. Neumann, whom many of you know as Bernhardt, um, and used Hannah Neumann rather than von Kimmerer as her name from then on. I should say that's a sore point because there are a lot of people in America interested in women math in mathematics who describe her as Hannah von Kimmerer Neumann. And she'd have been horrified by that. She'd have been horrified. She was Hannah Neumann from the moment she married. And that was her professional name, of course. Uh, she got a DPhil, a doctorate uh, from Oxford uh, in 1943 uh, on the basis of a thesis I'll talk a little bit about. Um, and then a DSC on the basis of her published work in 1955. The DSC is the higher doctorate in Oxford. Um, she was at the University of Hull from 1946 to 58. It was University College when she started and it became a university in um, 1954, I think. Um, and then moved to Manchester in 1958 where she was at the Manchester College of Science and Technology for a few years until she came 
to the Australian National University in Canberra in 1963. And she was pretty distinguished and was elected uh, fellow of the Australian Academy in 1969. And she died in November 1971, uh, very suddenly, while on a lecture tour uh, of uh, Canadian universities. She was moving from west to east and had got as far as uh, um, Ottawa um, in Ontario, and she died there. So here are her early years. Um, she was born, she was christened actually, because her family were uh, Lutheran. Um, she was christened Johanna von Kemmerer, but she hated the Johanna and just dropped the U and became Hannah, uh, probably from the age of about one and a half. Uh, um, <laughs> not quite sure. Um, she never knew her father, who was a historian, um, uh, but who died in the first month of the First World War. Um, in, in, uh, he died in... Um, late September um, 1914. Um, her mother, Keita, uh, was Mutter, just as we called mother, mother, um, Hannah von Kemmerer, Hannah von Kemmerer and her, her brother and sister called their mother Mutter, Mutter. And we called her Mutter when she was a grandmother. Um, um, so, um, Morta, my grandmother, um, had to bring up her family, three children, in severely straitened circumstances. And the children contributed to the economy of the family by coaching. Um, mother started at the age of 12, I think, or 13, um, coaching um, both mathematics and languages. Her elder brother, Ernst, uh, Ernst von Kemmerer became professor of international law um, at the University of Freiburg in Germany and uh, became rector of the university for a couple of years. Um, very, very distinguished man. He was a, um, a, an overseas fellow of the British Academy. Um, and his daughter, he, he had two daughters, has two, well, they're still alive. Uh, but one of them, Susanna, um, is... Uh, uh, a very distinguished professor of plant sciences at the ANU and indeed great excitement in the family because she was elected a foreign member of the, the Royal Society this year. Um, so we all got very excited. Um, I should say that she was a student of my mother because her first degree was in mathematics and she studied at the ANU while mother was there. Um, mother's elder sister Dora um, after the war became head of the German social work system and sort of rebuilt it after the war. Um, she became very distinguished and, and uh, won the um, German, well, the German equivalent of what I got, the OBE. The interwar period. She joined the University of Berlin, Humboldt University, uh, at Easter in 1932, in time for the Zomer semester, the summer term. Um, and father was there at the time. Um, she met him pretty quickly and they became very friendly. But um, father had to leave, um, didn't have to leave, 
but it would have been very unwise to stay. Um, he was from a Jewish family. Um, it was not just that the um, anti-Jewish laws had been promulgated in April uh, 1933, um, but it was also the economic situation in Germany was terrible. Um, and so there was no future for either a mathematician or a professional chess player, which is what he had to choose between. Um, uh, so he left and fetched up in Cambridge in uh, England and worked there uh, with um, the great group theorist Philip Hall. Um, the two of them became secretly engaged at Easter 1934. He, he visited Berlin briefly and they became engaged. They corresponded um, through mother's French teacher. Um, very, it was all very clandestine, um, very secret correspondence. Um, she was a, a mathematically excellent student, uh, but also politically a very active anti-Nazi. Um, she told us a wonderful story, and there's a version of it in her autobiographical notes, that um, she and her friends in the MAFA, the um, Mathematical and Physical Society, um, were trying to pr protect Isai Shur, a Jewish algebraist at the University of Berlin, who had been my father's informal PhD supervisor, and was one of mother's lecturers, very much loved, a great, uh, great lecturer. But um, there were agents provocateurs there um, from the uh, Nazi party who would, um, they weren't mathematicians, they would come into the back of the lecture room and make trouble. Um, so for as long as they could get away with it, mother and her friends would ask them little mathematical questions. Everybody wants to go into the lecture theater, little mathematical questions. One of them was, can you tell us what Pythagoras' theorem is? And they kept out some of these uh, um, uh, Nazi uh, troublemakers for just a couple of weeks. It wasn't very long, I'm afraid. Um, uh, but that's what I mean. She was a very active anti-Nazi, and that made trouble for her in a department where one of the main professors was not only a member of the Nazi party, but also um, very doctrinaire about it. Um, so she left, um, she passed the Staats exam in August 1937, but again, there, there was a certain amount of sub, sub, subterfuge there because the senior professor was while the senior professor was away on his summer holiday. Um, and they very, her friends very quickly arranged her, her oral examination so that she didn't have to under, undergo the political uh, um, uh, examination that he would have given. Um, so she passed the examination, but then moved to Göttingen, to, uh, where she worked with Helmut Hesse. He, too, was a staunch member of the Nazi party, but unlike the chap in Berlin, um, he kept his politics and his mathematics completely separate. Um, so she got on with him very well. But um, the time came when she had to leave Germany and she came to Cardiff and the two of them were married in 1938 and 
Their first child was born in August 1939, Irene. In May 1940, the um, German troops came as far as Dunkirk. And there was a... There was great um, anxiety in Britain. Some of it fanned by a, a famous broadcast by the former Prime Minister of Belgium who had come to London and who um, on the radio said, look to the fifth column in your midst. Um, the fifth column, no, the people from Germany who you think are harmless but maybe they're not. Um, and the um, British government responded to that by asking all so-called enemy aliens to move away from sensitive areas. Uh, sensitive areas were the coast, and in particular Cardiff, of course, very, very sensitive, because it was the port uh, through which the coal from the South Welsh coal fields came to uh, um, fuel the British Navy. Um, so they were asked to move and they moved to Oxford. I, I suspect that what they did was looked at a, a, a map of England and thought, well, you know, we can't live within 10 miles from the coast. We've got to live as far from the coast as we can. And Oxford is that place which is further from any bit of the coast than anywhere else in Britain. Um, so anyway, they fetched up in, in, uh, in uh, Oxford and a week later father was interned to the Isle of Man, almost certainly protective custody, um, along with a lot of Jewish academics, um, people who would be the first to go if Hitler's forces had crossed over to Dover and into Britain. Um, they were sent to the Isle of Man, which was as far away as possible, to internment camp where father had a very happy time playing chess with, and talking philosophy and talking mathematics with um, other internees. Um, and there's a story that goes with that, but I don't have the time to, to uh, talk about it. Um, and after a few months, he joined the Pioneer Corps in Britain, uh, humping sacks of cement around to build um, airstrips. Um, so he was in the army. Mother found lodgings in Binsey, which is a lovely little village with a wonderful pub on the banks of the River Thames, the Isis, as called, as it goes through, through Oxford. Um, and a second child, that's me, uh, was born in December 1940. And in the summer, when um, Irene was two years old, not quite two years old, and I was six or seven months old, um, mother applied to Oxford University through the Oxford Society for Home Students, which was a society of women students who could live at home. Otherwise, you see, students were expected to live in colleges, required to live in colleges. Um, but the Oxford Society for Home Students, which has now morphed into one of the colleges, St. Anne's College, um, catered particularly for people like Mother. And so she was tempted to um, apply and um, 
the, both the university and the college were very, very generous with fee remissions and other support. And she matriculated, joined the university in October, at the end of October 1941, and started there her doctorate. Here we are, you see, father, probably late, uh, late Cardiff, I think. Um, and there's um, mother on the banks of the Isis, um, with what's called Port Meadow in the background, with um, Irene on her right, on our left, and uh, me in a pram. Um, it was quite a difficult time. Uh, late in 1941, Mother started this uh, doctorate. Her supervisor was the very famous Olga Towsky Todd, at the time working at the National Physical Laboratory um, on numerical work and um, differential equations. Um, but she knew a little bit of group theory. Um, I, she certainly wasn't familiar with the kind of work that Mother was doing, but I don't think Mother needed much supervision anyway. Um, and she had as her college advisor, um, that is, you know, sort of social advisor, um, I don't know what you call it, um, Eleanor Plumer, who was a very distinguished lady who was principal of the Society for Home Students. And in December 1942, she couldn't get other, other accommodations, so um, she, she found there was a caravan she could hire, and she parked it on Charity Farm, which was a small holding, um, at the time turned over to um, um, producing vegetables for, uh, 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 um, for the producing food for the war, but um, it was owned and run by the Mattox family, which was uh, a very famous rose grower, rose breeder and rose grower, uh, John Mattox and his family. Um, so she parked this caravan on the farmyard um, and typed her thesis. She says in her autobiography, sometimes by candlelight, I don't remember the candlelight, but I was too young. Um, but I do very faintly remember playing in the farmyard with the chickens um, as there uh, um, while she was doing this typing. I, I actually do, I do also slightly remember the card table on which she had a tiny little portable typewriter and typed the thesis. Um, so she did this thesis um, under what you might call trying circumstances. And I'm emphasizing this for all the wrong reasons. Namely, um, about two years ago, I gave a lecture in Brighton um, about something completely different, can't remember what. And uh, a young lady came up to me afterwards um, and spoke, said that she'd been doing a doctorate at uh, King's College London, um, but she'd had to give up because she had two little children. And I thought, well, mm, I kept quiet actually, but uh, um, uh, mother was doing this while she had two little children. Um, the thesis on free products of groups was submitted on the 12th of June 1943, uh, but not um, examined for um, about seven or eight months. And that was partly because mother was giving birth to another child. 
but partly because her two examiners were not available until a bit later. Um, but they, they wrote a very strong report on it. And Barbara was born in November 1943. This is what she herself has to say about it. The work for the thesis proceeded smoothly enough. Arrangements made for me were considerate. A weekly or less visit to my supervisor, Dr. Olga Towski-Todd, in the evenings. Once or twice a term, an interview with my tutor, Eleanor Plumer, uh, at the college. I would take the children in a sidecar attached to my bicycle. And I once saw a picture of that, but I can't find it now, unfortunately. And undergraduates would play with them in the common room until I returned. So we had very classy babysitters, my sister and I. <clears throat> Father finished his military service late in 1945 and started as a lecturer in University College Hull early in 1946. Uh, but he was headhunted to Manchester uh, two years later, uh, well, two and a half years later, September 1948. The fourth child was born in January 1946. In summer 1946, mother won appointment to Hull as assistant lecturer in that department. Um, she was promoted to a lectureship in 1948 um, and applied for a senior lectureship, but the professor at the time, uh, Professor Stewart, who loved playing Beethoven on the piano, but um, had given up doing mathematics, was very sticky about, um, uh, about this. Um, Mother very rarely was unkind about anybody, um, but she did explain to, to, to us or to me at one stage that um, uh, G.C. Stewart, uh, a professor at Hull, had a very simple appointment policy. When he had a post available, he advertised, and he appointed the best Cambridge mathematician who applied. <laughs> if no Cambridge man applied, he appointed the best Oxford man. If no Oxford men applied either, he appointed the best London man. In the event, none of those applied, and he had to appoint an Oxford woman. <laughs> Um, anyway, th th that was her story. Um, I'm, I'm not sure about it. Um, but um, in order to strengthen her case, she applied for and was awarded the Doctor of Science degree from Oxford. Only the second woman mathematician to do that. Um, there had been distinguished women at Oxford before, um, there was uh, Mary Cartwright, but also Ida Bosbridge. Um, Ida Bosbridge had earned herself a, a, um, a Doctor of Science degree a few years before Mother did. Um, but um, one, one, one of the first, anyway. And then Daniel, uh, now known as Danny and living in Melbourne, was born in April 1951. And here is um, a document that I discovered in the archives of um, St. Anne's College. Um, it's, um, 
a letter from mother to Miss Plumer, the principal who had been so very supportive. Now I hear that most likely the Department of Math Mathematics there, that's Hull, will need an assistant lecturer in October. Also, the chances to find full-time domestic help there seem to be reasonably good, so that I am thinking of applying. And she was requesting a reference from Eleanor Plumer. <clears throat> so here we are, you see. She's a mathematician with five children. There's Irene and me, Barbara and Walter, Daniel. Born August 1939, December 1940, November 1943, January 1946, and April 1951. But the context is this. You see, um, father was away in Manchester all the time. Well, not quite, not quite. <laughs> he came home every other weekend, um, and uh, he was away, uh, away from Manchester, that is, he was at home with us for the university vacations, but of course that's at least half the, half the year, something like half the year. So we did see quite a bit of him. On the other hand, during term time, um, mother was looking after us in the evenings while doing her mathematics and actually while doing an awful lot of other things as well because she was, for instance, secretary of the local United Nations Association uh, in Hull, um, uh, various other things. Well, let's have a look at a few more of her words. Uh, um, so I started in Hull, encouraged and helped by Dan Hart, who took it as a matter of course that both our work and our children were joint and shared responsibilities. It was then, at last, that we started working together. That's what she wrote in 1969. My sister's a bit sceptical about this, because they said father was away in Manchester. Um, he was a theoretical um, equal opportunities man, very much so. Um, very strongly in favour of uh, supporting women in mathematics very strongly indeed, but um, for my sister, actions speak louder than words. Um, uh, so she's a bit uh, um, um, <laughs> doubtful about this. Anyway, uh, let's just recall, um, mother was in Hull from 1946 to 1958. Manchester College of Science and Technology, which later became UMIS, the University of Manchester Institute of Science and Technology, it was a polytechnic which became a university and then a part of the University of Manchester um, from 1958 to 1963. Bernard was at Manchester 1948 to 1962 and moved to the ANU Canberra in uh, August 1962. So let's move on to Australia. Um, Dan Hart came to the ANU in August 1962. Um, this had been quite interesting because he'd come on a sabbatical to Australia. Um, he spent half of the sabbatical in Australia, half in India. That was in the academic year 1959 uh, 60. Um, and he'd made friends in Australia, 
and was invited, he was headhunted, invited to come to the ANU um, by the then Vice-Chancellor, um, who wanted him to create a mathematics department in the School of Advanced Studies. The School of Advanced Studies at the time certainly had physics, it had chemistry, it had, I think, astronomy, and I think it already had medicine. Uh, or physiology, um, this is the influence of um, uh, Howard Florey. Um, but it didn't have mathematics, and they wanted mathematics. But there was a problem, you see, because um, father responded, oh, he'd love to come, but he wouldn't come unless they created a post for mother. Well, that was a problem in Australia, as it had been in Manchester. Mother could never get a post at the University of Manchester because it had nepotism rules. You didn't employ husband and wife. Um, same was true in Australia. Uh, you see, that was why my mother went to the um, uh, Technical College in Manchester, not to the University of Manchester. Um, so, father negotiated for quite a long while, um, trying to get agreement and succeeding trying and succeeding to get uh, agreement that Mother could come as a senior research fellow in his department. Uh, but in the middle of all this, they, they were also rather worried because Father's parents were still alive, very ancient, very wonderful people living in a flat in London, 132 Grove End Gardens. Um, absolutely angelic people and um, Father and mother were a bit worried about leaving England when his parents were um, uh, 88 and 87, respectively. Um, but then the new scientist got hold of this fact that father had been invited and had a double-page spread in the middle about the possibility that the Neumanns might be going from Manchester to Canberra. And the secret, father's cover was blown. Um, the, the secret was out because my grandfather was an avid reader of the, of the New Scientist. <laughs> so he saw this, and of course he phoned up and said, you must go, you must go. Um, well, the difficulties over mother joining were overcome, and she... Um, she had to stay an extra year in Manchester, partly because Daniel was still in primary school, and partly because they both had a year's uh, leave in New York, where all of us, Daniel, Walter and I, the three boys, not the two girls, um, were with them in New York for a year, um, working with Wilhelm Magnus. Um, and mother uh, um, had not been at Manchester for very long, so she had to spend another year working there. So father came in August 1962 and started setting up his department. Um, mother came in August 1963, um, and Daniel started at uh, secondary school in Canberra. Um, but within a few months, mother was asked to um, accept a professorship and the head of the Department of Pure Mathematics uh, in the School of General Studies. Um, and she m made that move, well, I think it was late March or early April 
1964. Um, she'd always been as keen on teaching as on research, uh, whereas father had always been rather more interested in research than teaching. He, was, uh, he, he wasn't hostile to teaching, as I met a few people who were, but um, he certainly wasn't that, but um, he didn't focus on his teaching as mother did. Um, she taught pretty well anything, algebra, analysis, geometry at every level, um, including you know, the sort of thing that specialists work for third or fourth year students at uh, Oxford in functional analysis. She wrote a set of notes on, um, on uh, uh, functional analysis, on, on, on um, how, what are they called, special function Schwartz uh, distributions. Um, and in the short time she was there before she died, um, she completely revolutionized the pure mathematics at the department. Um, I have here a most amazing letter. Um, Diane Whittlestone, whom I had hoped to meet here, she lives in Sydney, um, but she's actually traveling in, in Japan or China at the moment, unfortunately. I had an invitation last October from the um, AAMT, the Australian Association of Mathematics Teachers, uh, to come to Canberra um, next week to um, deliver the Hannah Neumann Memorial Lecture. And late October, they asked me for the title of the lecture and a few details. And you know, thinking that far ahead wasn't something I never quite trained myself to do. So I was dithering. And then this wonderful letter came from Diane Whittlestone, it's not only a wonderful letter, but also the envelope had the most beautiful stamps on it. <laughs> wonderful stamps. She, that's Hannah Neumann, was remarkable for many reasons, but to me she was remarkable as she managed to get me through Pure Mathematics 1. And in all my years of study, 13 at school, 5 at AMU, 2 at Cambridge University, and 5 studying law in Sydney, she was the best teacher I ever had. How she did it, I do not know. In my Pure Maths 1 class at ANU in 1967, there were about 200 students, only four of whom were women. Hannah taught that class, although she knew us all intimately. And I should say she probably did. She probably got to know everybody. She was, she was that way in, in Hull when she was teaching and in Manchester. And 200 students, well, I couldn't do it, but I'm, I think she probably could, just about. Anyway, that um, came out of the blue, um, by airmail is what I mean, um, <laughs> on the early November, and um, it told me what I was talking to the AAMT about. Um, Mother had seen the um, great changes in mathematics education that had started in Illinois in about 1957, I think. Um, the post-Sputnik revolution, you know when Sputnik, when the, when the Russians put Sputnik up in orbit and um, all of a sudden the Russians and the British and the Australians discovered that Russia, which was thought to be technologically way behind, was actually technologically a long way great 
uh, um, crisis. And the British government poured money into education, um, uh, providing schools with uh, the most wonderful labs. I mean, my school, for example, got uh, lots of money for beautiful equipment in our laboratories. My physics teacher was over the moon with all the lathes and all sorts of other things he got. Um, mathematics, that was physics, of course, and chemistry also, but also mathematics teaching. Um, and there was a great change going on in um, mathematics education from about 1957 in America, 1958 or 59 in Britain. Um, by the early 60s, um, in Britain, we had the School Mathematics Project, the SNP, um, and we had the um, uh, NEI, Mathematics uh, um, in Education and Industry, and we had several other projects uh, completely redesigning the syllabus from what I had had at school, which was based on Euclid and on... Um, traditional algebra solving equations, things like that. Um, moving it towards, well, you know, Tom Lehrer singing about the new math, if you remember, in, uh, I think that song was 1960, sings about um, set theory. So simple that only a child can understand it. <laughs> um, the new math. Um, and uh, Klein, for example, Maurice Klein, wrote a book called Why Johnny Can't Do Math um, because there was a great backlash against this. My colleague John Hammersley in Oxford went to a stomping around the country uh, giving a lecture entitled um, uh, uh, what was it? The New Mathematics uh, and Similar Soft Intellectual Trash. Uh, referring to group theory, set theory, and so on. Um, so there'd been a backlash, but of course what was going on was a complete rethinking of what it was to teach mathematics. And when Mother came to Australia, she found that Australia was not yet touched with this at all. Um, and she started doing something about it. Um, she gave a rather interesting lecture to the um, first meeting of the AAMT, she gave it as the presidential address, um, partly because the president was overseas at the time. The president was her husband, but Bernhard Neumann, and, and uh, um, 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 she was the vice president. And she talked specifically about this problem, uh, but did uh, a lot of work on um, setting up courses to retrain school teachers to train uh, uh, um, um, uh, uh, teacher, teacher trainees in uh, universities and colleges as had already been as was already being done in, in uh, Britain and I was much involved in that in the later 60s um, and she put a, a lot of her energy into reviewing syllabuses creating new ones um, providing courses for serving teachers um, uh, in order to it's not so much to 
improve the teaching of mathematics, but improve the thinking about teaching of mathematics more slowly at the time. Um, um, and with huge effect, I think. Um, so that was her as a teacher. Um, let me just say a word about her as a research mathematician. Um, because, of course, it was that that got her the post as a research fellow in the <coughs> department and then as a professor in, in the um, um, School of General Studies. Um, her um, thesis was on the structure of free products of groups with amalgamation. I'm hoping that you don't understand what those are. Um, I'm not going to stop and describe it because time is out. Time is out. But it's a rather wonderful thesis. Um, um, it was published in a couple of articles um, uh, the next couple of years, um, which um, pushed the theory of infinite groups quite a lot further ahead. They're not looked at nowadays because the whole area was um, changed in the early 19 or mid-1960s um, when um, um, geometrical methods came into this area. Uh, but at the time, it uh, made huge progress and her work was used in a joint paper by um, Graham Higman, who was my former supervisor, um, Bernard Neumann, my father, and Hannah Neumann. Um, the famous paper of 19... 69, uh, sorry, 1959, 1959, which introduced what are now called HNN extensions of groups. Higman, Neumann, and Neumann. That's Graham Higman, Bernard Neumann, Hannah Neumann. Um, and then there was the Hannah Neumann conjecture about intersections of subgroups of free groups, which was um, very celebrated conjecture, only settled two years ago. Um, with some fearsome articles which were only fearsome at first when the pioneering articles were great big long things and then all of a sudden Warren Dix in Spain uh, simplified them and then her most famous work is on varieties of groups classes of groups she wrote a wonderful monograph on that uh, which was translated into Russian um, and her, her research students were working on varieties of groups and also on free groups. Well, there we are. Um, that's her. Um, great research mathematician, great lecturer, great teacher. I should say a great mother as well. Um, if we you know, disturbed her a bit, we, we got a smack over the ear hole. Um, uh, but yeah, she was very lovely. Um, but she's remembered here in Australia in several ways. There's the Hannah Neumann building at the ANU in Canberra. Um, there's the biennial AAMT Hannah Neumann Memorial Lecture, which is what I'm here in Australia to, to deliver this year. And there's the Hannah Neumann Lectureship of the Australian Mathematical Society. And there's the um, picture that the Academy made in 1969. That's it, folks.
Thanks for listening to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. For more information about our upcoming events or to listen to more podcasts, head to sydney.edu.au forward slash sydney underscore ideas.